The O3C Podcast is a proud member of the HyperX Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of the O3C Podcast, coming to you from O3C Games. My name's Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by Chris Dow. With his patented fuzzy head. And Minty Booth. 24-hour moisture. And we are <laughs> chatting about video games. Announcement! Announcement! Greetings, all. We'd like to mention a couple of things to you before we dive in today. Number one, check out our website, o3c.games. Read our articles, share our website on social media, and specifically, share our articles. We'd be hugely appreciative if you could do that. And in return, we have got another very exciting Steam giveaway offer, where if we see you sharing our articles, we will enter you into a prize draw to win a copy of Back for Blood on Steam. Ooh. And in addition to that, we would also invite you to join a co-op streaming session playing that very game with us as well, and we'll grant you exclusive access to the currently Patreon-exclusive Discord server. What? I mean, just like, what a great offer. I mean, ugh, share our articles from our website, tag us in the post. We are at O3C Games on everything. And uh, yeah, you'll be eligible and hopefully we'll see you soon. Number two, speaking of Patreon, do please check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash O3C Games, or you can go to O3C.Games slash support where you'll find a link there and also a link to give us a one-off donation via PayPal. Pledging a few quid our way through Patreon or just chucking us some loose change really does go a long, long way with us. We're on the... Well, we're basically on the home straight now of our addenda, and pledging a bit to support us is absolutely vital in how we consider the future of the show beyond this season. So if you're enjoying this show, please do check that out, even if it's just, you know, £4 a month, which is a paltry £1 an episode. That would make a big difference for us. And you get loads of bonus stuff on Patreon as well, like deleted scenes and outtakes, loads of exclusive bonus episodes, access to the Discord server. We all win. When you pledge. When you... <laughs> he who pledges wins. Make room for huge plays with the HyperX Alloy Origin 65 mechanical gaming keyboard and the Pulsefire Haste wireless mouse. The Alloy Origin 65 has a functionally compact form factor, keeping the arrow keys while ditching the numpad and the F keys. The Pulsefire Haste is the lightest wireless mouse from HyperX, featuring a robust connection and the precision you need to click heads. The Alloy Origin 65 and Pulsefire Haste Wireless, a terrific twosome to keep your setup clean and clutter-free. So, we've got five addenda left. That is, I mean, that is, yeah, that's home straight material, and uh, means we've only got 15 episodes left. <laughs> <laughs> Minty, you're going to tell us about your addendum uh, this week, well, the game that you've played and you want in your top 100 list, uh, and you're also going to have to give one the boot. And, uh, well, well, I can't wait to hear that, but you're going to have to. No, I'm going to have to. You don't have to. Well, I am going to have to wait to hear myself talk about it because I haven't actually said any of this out loud yet. Oh, <laughs> goodness. Could be terrible. So it's a surprise for everyone. Yeah. Yeah, it's just been swirling around in my head like a cloud. Before we talk about that, let's talk about what we've been playing this week. Minty, how is your digi-activity digi going? Oh, it's great. So, do you want to have a guess at what my favourite dinosaur is? No. Fine. Oh, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> One of those a... little, uh, the little guys 
in uh, in the Lost World that run about in the grass? What are they? A comp sognathus. No. Ah, well, that was my shot. I think it is a pachycephalosaur. No, no, it is not. Oh, no, I know this. It's an ankylosaurus. That's correct. Yes. Yes. Well done. Who'd have thought we'd have had that conversation before? Yeah, yeah. Not not really the sort of thing that adults talk about to our detriment, I would say. Yeah. That is my favourite dinosaur. And at the moment, I've got loaded up in my watch uh, a... I think it's called a Vermilamon, which is red, ah, hence the name. Uh, yeah. But it's also the ultimate digivolution of the Monochromon, who is, wait for it, Monochrome. Ah, from the past. Clues in the title. Yeah. Now, the, uh, the Digidex says that they are both Ankylosaurus-type Digimon. It's got more of a triceratopsy type head. It's got that frill. It's got the big horn. It does have armor on its back. It doesn't have the club tail, which we know and love in our Ankylosaurs. But I've got my ex-Tyrannomon from last week. That's in the bank. And uh, so now I'm just sort of plugging away at completing this family tree. When I was doing arena battles this time around, I did come across a couple of mega level Digimon, which then get put into your Digidex when you encounter them, even though you don't digivolve them yourself. So I've had that spoiled a little for me. I'm going to get... Oh. Yeah. I'm going to get a Victory Greymon or a Gaiomon from this next Digivolution, both of which are fine. They're, they're, they're sort of the classic sort of dragon men type Digimon that most uh, popular Mega Evolutions are. It's not as enthused to get out and give the old leg a shake as, uh, as, as I have been for some of the other ones on this. But yeah, I'm still cracking on. Find, finding other ways to gamify my life as well at the moment. I've bought one of those big water bottles that has the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like has the has the targets on it so it's 7 a.m good morning 9 a.m hydrate yourself and you have to sort of get to that level by the time limit which i i guess is sort of it, it, it's kind of gamey in a way it's, it's, it's game adjacent of, <laughs> i mean that's my next addendum water bottle i mean surely with with tech these days there is a smart bottle that lets you do that but also play a game there might there must be something out there. Probably. If that was a real thing, Minty would be the most juiced person in the land. <laughs> Just endlessly hydrated. Oh, I'd be absolutely sopping. Yeah. I mean, like there's a Pokemon app to help help you clean your teeth. Well, there we go. So if there was a Pokemon app to help you hydrate, I'd be all over that. What else have I been playing? In the eShop sale, I picked up Planet Alpha. Have either of you played this? No. No, I, I see it pop up in the sale every time. So I've seen the thumbnail lots, but I've never Never dug in to actually see what it is. So you should buy it and you should play it because it's really good. It's, it's got the classic artwork where it's like somebody standing up, standing on the top of a cliff, looking over a vast oh, yeah, plane. The Xenoblade pose. The Xenoblade pose, the Breath of the Wild pose. Sonic Frontiers pose. Sonic Frontiers. All of them, everybody's doing it. So I went in thinking, oh, cool, this is going to be a nice, imaginative, uh, richly designed 3D open world sandbox adventure. The The premise of it sounds cool. You use the power of night and day and sort of turning back time, turning forward time to solve puzzles and everything. And I was like, oh, this is great. It's, it's going to be, yeah, open world platforming with a puzzle element. The moment that the game started up, I audibly said to myself, oh no, it's a 2D platformer. <laughs> oh, I know this. Yeah. 
yeah, the, I, I've seen. Yeah, I've seen some shots of this. Screenshots of this. It's a Danish uh, Danish game. Is it? I, th- I think so. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I know it's made by Team Seventeen or published or d- whatever published they do. By Team Seventeen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that disappointment that it was two D was only fleeting though, because while it may not be three D, it's actually incredibly fucking good. Ooh. Yeah. So it, it starts off very slowly, like you're. I think you've crash landed on this planet, so you're just crawling around, like trying to find somewhere safe. And there's there's uh, there's no words in this game at all. Um, so the narrative is pushed forward purely on what you see in the foreground, in the background. And as far as I know, it's just a big old weird planet that you're on. And there's also some robots. Cool. Oh, it's uh, downloading now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How much is it in the current sale? It's three pounds nineteen pence. That is cheap. It's, it's excellent. It's. Um... I reckon it will look great on the OLED. <laughs> that mm. classic phrase. I think it will. It's it's got really like even looks good on my old model. Lovely bright colors, uh, imaginative flora and fauna. Not only imaginative to look at, but also imaginative in how you can interact with them. There's a stealthy puzzle element to it as well. Not to lean on that silly old trope of uh, everything everything hard being like Dark Souls, but I have died a lot in this game, mostly due to uh, being shot repeatedly by said robots, being bisected by an enormous robotic arm, being stung to death by huge hornets, uh, being crushed by a massive stag beetle. Oh, I hate um, when that happens. <laughs> yeah, God. missing a platform um, by just not jumping in the right spot, missing a platform because it went back into the background and my timing was off by a slice. There are many ways that you're going to die, but you're snapped back in almost instantaneously. Um, it doesn't, doesn't allow you to dwell on your mistakes, which is good for keeping that rhythm going, but not necessarily conducive to making immediate progress. Like I, I, I died to the same platform a bit about probably 15 or 20 times before realizing, oh, I needed to jump onto the bit behind me as opposed to this bit that has clearly been impossible the last 20 times that I've done it. But it's great. It's mysterious. There's no words, like I said. So the narrative is driven solely by your actions and what you see happen. There's there's weird sort of monuments and big statues and you think, well, there must be somebody here or some sort of civilization that's been lost to the ages. And why are these robots here? Are they just are they just here to, to to ransack and scoop up valuable things like like leaves or whatever robots find valuable or is it just just bloody minded conquest and and they'll sell off the planet to the highest bidder who knows i don't there we go I mean, it sounds like there's there's quite a few similarities actually with what i've been playing this week uh, because i've only really been playing one game which is ghost runner uh, because I've been having a, a fantastic time with it over on the uh, over on the Steam Deck. Honestly, I don't think I would. Well, I, I don't think I would have picked it up if it hadn't been included in a bundle uh, or like a subscription service that I had. In fact, I've, I've got it twice because <laughs> it's in uh, the PlayStation Plus March games and Humble Bundles April games. And you know <laughs> that I've always kind of like avoided first person games on consoles because yeah. I just don't think mouse keyboard controls will ever be matched for that sort of you know that sort of control scheme but I, I I'm, I'm so so glad that uh that you know I got that this game 
just became owned by me and that I pushed through that barrier with it on my Steam Deck because I've just had a, a brilliant time with it. I think like the thing that's that's really impressed me most was just how well paced the game is. Certainly in terms of what it's asking of you and uh, what it's offering and what it's teaching you and how it's teaching you things. Because there's a very, very high uh, rate of uh, death and retry and death and retry, similar to like what you were saying, Minty, and, and the comparison we made last week of uh, Ghost Runner and Hotline Miami. Yeah. And the reason why it's actually doable and the game isn't just like heart-wrenchingly frustrating is the fact that the restarts are absolutely instantaneous so you can immediately employ what you've just learned or try to and uh and, and every single time you muck up well i mean like 99 percent of the times you muck up you it's your fault and you know you know what you've done wrong but the way that the game builds on itself obviously you start with like just simple mechanics like you can swoosh your sword and you can run along walls and like a, a dash move which allows you to slow down time briefly to avoid incoming enemy fire by quickly shifting your trajectory of movement then the game just brilliantly paces itself with how it builds all of the features that are coming your way over... I mean, I, I, I'm i I'm right at the end of the game now, and I, I, I don't know, maybe eight hours, eight, nine hours, maybe? Yeah. Like, you end up, like, grappling, sliding, hacking, leaping, shurikening, grinding, deflecting, dodging, slicing, possessing, riding. Like, all of these features are just perfectly spaced out so that you never get bored of a particular mechanic before it's adding something else into the mix but it also never gets overwhelming either where you're trying to juggle too many button combos before you've fully got to grips with how to play the game and the enemies are equally as diverse and they're introduced sporadically through the game to shake things up even further like just when you think you've got the hang of dodging like just a lone gunman's single bullet firing then a machine gun wielding soldier appears and when you think you can handle any enemy, as long as they're standing still, uh, new enemies appear that can jump and fly and charge at you or, you know, come complete with shields or enormous wave attacks. And it always keeps you on your toes. And it just, it I mean, it brings like a brilliant puzzle solving element to the game, which means you're always analysing the lay of the land, seeing your objective and the obstacles between you and it, looking at the tools in your arsenal and then deciding on the best and most efficient way through it all. And there's so much scope for changing how you approach each scenario as well like i don't think there's ever been one scenario that specifically asks you to solve it in one particular way like if your first approach isn't quite working rethink things try it differently see where you get you know you might want to take a slightly different route you might want to try deflecting the bullet back at uh, an enemy instead of trying to charge him down you might want to switch your little upgrades around so that you can boost one of your abilities a, a little bit more or, or whatever it's just like it's constantly constantly challenging your creative thinking as well as your reflexes and yeah like i said the fact that it is so instant to restart means that it's just not annoying because you you die a lot a lot uh, <laughs> like sometimes when i was clearing like a level it'd be like deaths 250 i think i had on one and you know it's like an, an hour playing and like 250 deaths but i never got annoyed there was one time i got annoyed with the game and that was because i hit the option restart level instead of restart oh. checkpoint and i had to go oh. back but then but then I, I i blasted through what took me probably an hour in about 15 minutes uh the second time through so you know it 
it wasn't that frustrating <laughs> because I was playing it on the Steam Deck. I could I sit fairly comfortably and I had like Married at First Sight on or something. And, of course. You know, it's just, it, it, it means that I'm not just sat there kind of like miserable because I've got other stuff doing. And it just, yeah, it just really, just becomes a really addictive gameplay loop. And I do think it's fortuitous that I came to the game straight off the back of playing Sekiro five times in a row because (laughs) (laughs) let's not forget that I did do that but there there were many many skills that I'd learned in Sekiro that I could apply here from like the split second reaction to avoid attacks and timing parrying with your sword like I I changed the control setup in Ghost Runner immediately to better reflect how I was playing Sekiro with like you know the the grappling uh, ability on like the left shoulder button and then having the attack on the right shoulder button jumping and interacting on you know sort of matching buttons to what I had in Sekiro and that really really did help me certainly overcome my initial uh, concerns that I wouldn't get on with a you know a first person game on a console certainly one that required such tight <laughs> such tight mastery of those controls and yeah i it, like it's by far the most i've enjoyed controlling a first person game on console controls definitely and i think yeah it's probably opened the door to others that i previously avoided so i think you know and certainly now i've got the steam deck you know i'm gonna i may as well install something that i've I'd written off before and and give it another go and it i must say it looks so nice on the steam deck it looks really nice it's a really pretty game anyway it's got great sort of design in it like really nice cyberpunk design nothing massively original but just really cool and it runs very very smoothly fantastic soundtrack as well like really good thumping electronic tracks to like keep you focused which is weird but it's something i've always done when i'm really trying to get some work done is whack on some electronic music or like I don't know, like like the social network soundtrack. It was it's like a really regular one, or like a Daft Punk or Roiksop, and it just gets my head in the zone. And so like the the soundtrack to Ghost Runner was absolutely perfect for the mindset I needed to be in to play it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, like the story's great as well. The world is great, an all round just brilliant experience. And uh, yeah, like I said, I'm right at the end of it now, and I'm I'm really really glad that I've uh, that I've had it. Um, time will tell if I'll return to the game, try and go back, and maybe find all the secrets and collectibles. I mean, to be honest, I think I, I probably will because it's just so gosh darn fun to play. <laughs> like Sekiro. Like, I couldn't find a game more fun to actively play once I beat it once, which is why I kept beating it until I found one. <laughs> and I'll, I'll, I'll probably do the same with Ghost Runner. I'd say it's certainly a contender for entry in my top 100 list oh, as course, well. Of course. Uh, I'm not going to worry about that right now because I'll see where we're at by the end of this season and, you know, we issue our final evaluation of our lists. But... Yeah, don't be surprised if this uh, uh, this features somewhere on there. And uh, yeah, that's that's me really. I haven't really played played much else. Um, I, I I have been playing a bit more of Grow, but I had a few. Uh, the game crashed on me a couple of times, and I lost quite a bit oh. of progress each time, which really wound me up. And uh, so I'm I, I just thought I'm just going to wait for it to get a few patches or something before I I return to it, which is a shame because I was really yeah I was I was enjoying it and getting into the uh, the gameplay loop of that. And despite what I said about a couple of weeks ago when I said that the Steam Deck isn't the Switch killer, I mean, I haven't played my Switch at all. <laughs> I played Kirby on it, and I know I'll pick it up again when Xenoblade Chronicles 3 comes out. But until then, I'm just having such a wonderful time with this console. And yeah, I need to find the next thing to play now. So yeah, any suggestions or recommendations from anyone of a, a, a good uh, good game that is uh, optimised, ideally, for Steam Deck, I will uh, happily hear and take on board. And buy. <laughs> Almost certainly. 
already bought it. Chris, what uh, what have you played this last week? Following on from the comments I made last week about having a, a weird head, I've been playing Tetris, <laughs> so it all bears out. <laughs> you know, I, it's still one of my go-to games for when I don't quite feel right. And any version of Tetris is fine, to be honest. Like, there's a company that makes credit card-sized games, like very simple hardware, only a few steps up from like the old LCD games you might have had as a kid in the 90s. But they do make a licensed version of Tetris. And at the moment, I don't own one of these. But increasingly, I feel like being able to carry something like that in my wallet would be a genuine asset to my daily mental health. <laughs> <laughs> just just knowing that it's there, not even playing it. Yeah. Just feeling like I've got to do this tough thing, but I can just like pat my pocket and know that it's sat there ready for me <laughs> if I need it. Yeah. The Tetris I have been playing is on the PlayStation 3. And if you remember a few months back when my console died, was resurrected, and then was dramatically taken ill again, it wasn't fixable. Or at least Phil at Console Fix, who worked on the machine the first time round, decided the juice wasn't really worth the squeeze kind of thing. And so he, he very nicely returned the console. He gave me a full refund on the repair payment because it was it was not fixed. And then I, I looked into getting another machine, which I have done. <laughs> now, I, I will say loudly for everyone here and everyone at home, the backwards compatible launch model PlayStation 3s are beautiful and they're useful and they're characterful. Like they're just really lovely machines to look at, but they are unwieldy <laughs> and heavy and unreliable and costly. And the unit I've gone for this time has many of the same tweaks and modifications as the last one. And I know deep down I could just be delaying the inevitable, but for now it's here, it's running nice and cool, we're good to go. But I do think this is the last time I'm going to bother with this machine. You know, if, if this one dies, there are other options I can take, which perhaps a bit less convenient, but certainly not as expensive. So that's for future Chris to worry about. <laughs> the only Tetris game that released on the PlayStation 3 was a version developed by Electronic Arts of all teams. And I would say outside of Tetris Effect and Tetris 99 at the very peak, and then the original Game Boy and Game Boy Color entries, this is actually one of my very favorite takes on the format. I've beaten it quite a few times on the PSP, back when that was kind of like my, my go-to handheld. But this is the first time I've sat down and played it in HD, I guess, on, on kind of like a big screen. You've got all your regular marathon and sprint modes and everything else you expect from Tetris, but you also have a nice range of, of variant modes. And a lot of the rule sets in these variants may feature kind of individually in, in other games, but the presentation of the whole package here, just having them all in one place is just really, really slick. And they sort of all of them shift the gameplay enough to be kind of quite exciting to play and certainly to get good at at higher speeds. Some of the goals in these uh, end up being kind of, you know, just get X amount of cumulative lines or, or get X amount of, of Tetris line clears or whatever. But the thing that I've enjoyed the most is just having to beat all of these variants on the very highest speed you can set. As I've mentioned before, while some people find speedy Tetris stressful Tetris, that stimulates a very particular part of my brain. So I'm pretty much at the end of that. I'm, I'm right at the end. There's a couple of things left to do in this one. Uh, and then I'll I'll move on and find Tetris to play somewhere else, I guess. Also on the new slash old PlayStation 3, uh, since it's returned or since this one has arrived, I played a full day's worth of Angry Birds Trilogy with oh, my brother Tom. Nice. <laughs> when the last console died, we lost quite a lot of progress on our mission to fully complete this stupid game and its 18 billion stages. And so this day was essentially like Project Rebuild starting again. <laughs> so we, we have taken down the first full chapter of 60-odd stages. You know, we've taken the majority of those to, to three-star, and that took the day. It's, <laughs> it's, it's much bigger than you realise. Like, as a mobile game, 
I'm not sure if anyone was truly aware of how much time it takes to organically beat Angry Birds because it was the thing you just had a quick blast on as you waited for something else yeah. or whilst you had a poo. <laughs> but if you're sat down playing on a big screen when it's your sole focus, you quickly see just how much time even simple stages can take to perfect. I guarantee for every stage we beat in two or three goes, one will pop up that took us a full hour. And <laughs> I don't know if we're ever going to finish this. You have to do it before the console dies. <laughs> I'd love to, but given that this is maybe our 10th attempt since the trilogy first came out on the Xbox 360 and doing this together, I'll probably say no. But also, yes. <laughs> like, I'm always willing. I'm always willing. I believe in you. Yeah. I want to see it happen. Oh, thank you. I'll, I'll try and give just offhand updates as we go. We don't play it that often because it's only really when we can kind of hang out for a full day that we sit down and, and get on with it. So it might be kind of a, a month until you hear something. But fingers crossed, the console survives and uh, the Angry Angry Birds Odyssey continues. <laughs> Is there not like a more reliable hardware you can play that game on that, that you don't need to worry about it dying and blowing up probably i mean that that version was on the wii u as well okay yeah but because the wii u is now it's a dead console and for some reason games like that are worth a lot of money for some reason so a a copy of angry birds trilogy on wii u is about 60 quid (laughs) whereas whereas everywhere else it's like two pounds at cex you know i've I've got a copy on the 3ds but it's not quite the same having to like sit around that together yeah need a switch version that's what we need Oh, I'd love it. That'd be great. I'd buy that in a heartbeat. What's the developer called? Rovio. Rovio. Come on, Rovio, if you're listening. Rovio. I don't know Rovio. if you said Rodeo there. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Rovio, get off your horse. Come on, yeehaw us into town with an Angry Birds port to the Switch. <laughs> no bull. The last thing I put a few hours into, and I say this with quite a heavy sigh, no. is Fancy Life Online on mobile. Oh, God, yeah. This is the pseudo-sequel to the 3DS classic that we all loved. Famously. That finally got localised for the West about six months ago and when it came out here it was years after it was kind of live in japan and worryingly i think the japanese version is completely shuttered it's not even running anymore so the the content plan for this game may well have a pretty definitive endpoint, which isn't great for a free-to-play live service game with microtransactions but there we are it's got a loose story it takes place on the exact same map as fantasy life just in a higher resolution that's so lazy yeah and it, and it has you completing many of the same kind of life related tasks depending on what you set your character as there are some positives like it controls well enough on the touchscreen. there's a decent variety of things to do each day the new village building component is quite a fun time sink in as much as any village builder on a mobile game can be a fun time sink for a few minutes each day but there are a lot of negatives and that's what's going to probably stop me playing it in the, in the not too distant future. When you boot up the game, because this has obviously run in Japan for a long time, you have to click through and clear about 10 pop-ups related to live events, premium currencies, other stuff that's happening is like one-offs that day, co-op play that you can join in with, gacha nonsense. Like There is so much just to kind of absorb and then clear. And on top of that, it's got all the other kind of catch-alls that go with this sort of game, like an energy meter, which so far, it hasn't impacted how much I've been able to play when I'm just checking in for 50 minutes before bed. But it does stop this from ever turning into a game like the 3DS version that I used to play for three or four hours straight. Oddly as well, the open world has been cut up, so you're only ever exploring part of the map at once. So like a chunk of Castile or a little chunk of Mount Snowpeak. And It's really frustrating to know that my phone is probably as powerful as 50 3DS consoles. (laughs) And and so it's obvious this choice is just to, you know, link up with that energy meter. Because every time you go off on a little quest, 
you use five, ten, whatever the energy currency is. And it's just to push you towards the game's premium currencies and, and premium things that it wants you to buy. Fucking hate I it. Know, I, <laughs> I, I know I talked a lot about Genshin Impact a year or so ago, but it is still, for better or worse, the only example of free-to-play that seems to have been done right. Mm. Because at its, at its peak, I was playing that game for hours a day and I was never told to go away. <laughs> and the open world was seamless. And it was bigger than the majority of AAA open worlds on the market. It was just a game before it was a free-to-play game, if that makes sense. It really felt like it was developed as something that should be fun and anyone could take part in. And then if you did want to spend money, there was all the other stuff that went with it. And obviously it's making money because they're about the richest developer in the world right now. <laughs> so they're doing something right. And I have no idea if Fancy Life Online is going to sustain me for very long I wanted to try it mainly just for completion's sake because it's obvious that this series is not coming back anytime soon in a traditional sense. That's a shame. But to be honest, I think this is a case where perhaps just letting sleeping dogs lie would have been the best choice. <laughs> so this is this is not a recommendation at all. Especially with the DLC that came with Fantasy Life. That game is so complete yeah. for that concept that I don't think a sequel is needed. No. I mean, the only thing is have it hd on a modern console so we can keep playing it or play it again yeah but i I don't think a sequel or even you know a remake of that game will will ever give more of an experience than than that original no not at all so yeah put it in the bin don't worry about that play something better (laughs) brilliant well there we go so on to the main event which is in minty's hands minty cradle us softly cup us in your grasp and tell us what you're amending your top 100 list with this week. Great, I will. It's new Pokemon Snap, and it's replacing old Pokemon Snap for many, many reasons. Cool. Join us next (laughs) week for honour. So first up, it's a game most everybody who played the original has wanted ever since the original came out. This is a desire that's impassioned by things like uh, Pokemon Go, um, seeing all the Pokemon have lives in that Detective Pikachu film, even the tenuously applicable Nintendo fucking Labo camera. Oh, yeah. We've been champing at the bit for a chance to wildly swing a controller around to follow the particularly speedy bird Pokemon, like a coked-up Attenborough, for years <laughs> and years now. Let's just take a few moments to remember that announcement uh, during that Pokemon... Was it the Pokemon Day Direct um, in 2020? I think everybody can remember where they were when they heard it, like a like a good JFK assassination or a, a not as good death of Thatcher. The trailer was just fantastic. It looked wonderful. Every frame was just stuffed with life and lives. Like instead of three fish near a rock or one Pikachu and one Pidgey, there were so many different Pokemon together in crazy numbers, no matter where you would look. Let's get the good side of this Vaporeon. Mm. And, uh, oh, in the next bit, oh, the voiceover is taking the piss out of this Tyranitar's eating habits. Hey, Tubby, it's called chewing. (laughs) Only joking. Tyranitar is a rock and dark type, not a fat type. Days and nights were back as well. The best thing to happen to Pokemon games in nearly 25 years that's been overlooked for almost as long. They're back and effectively double the number of courses you go on. It's incredible, incredible stuff. It's a much bigger game than the original, so it follows that the stakes need to be a little bit higher. 
instead of just bumming around one island and having Professor Oak gatekeep later areas of the game because he can't remember where the apples are, you're now building a Pokedex of all the Pokemon in the entirety of the Lentel region, and you're uh, uncovering the mysteries of the Illumina Pokemon, which, uh, as far as I know, the mystery is that they're big and they glow. Solved. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, as, as you're solving this mystery, you end up in some massive cavern at the end of the game, and you need to throw your you need to throw balls at various crags of archaeological importance to open up the big climax at the end of the game, which I'm not spoiling, but players of the original will remember the satisfaction and advancements that a well-placed piece of fruit or nuisance ball can bring. It's a fitting finale to really quite a bombastic game. Back in the N64 version, Pokemon would just they they would be very scripted. They, they would go from one place to the other, maybe they would bump into something else, and they would just do the same thing each and every time that you played this, played each course. And because there wasn't that many of them, they, they, there was probably not enough data, processing power, whatever you want to call it, for them to have anything resembling a, a little bit of randomness to their routines. It did become very, very samey. You don't really get that in this new game particularly when you consider the fact that each Pokemon has an entry in the in the photograph album with one to four stars and each star represents a particular behavior that you can you can just tease out of a Pokemon depending on whether you feed it fruit or you play it some nice music or um, you, you bother it with one of the aforementioned nuisance balls it gives a greater sense of completeness to a to a Pokemon, right down to the individual. Every single Pokemon can have one to four stars. They have so many different things that they can do that you can take photos of. It's just wonderful. There's so much. There's so much to discover in this game. And the better you do, the more photographs you take of Pokemon in each course, the more Pokemon appear in that course. So it pays to keep going back, taking better photos, because more Pokemon will come where you can take better photos of them and open up even more Pokemon. It's just the sheer amount to discover is just, whoa, it's it's mind-boggling. It really is. And of course, the director of this game, which who, who was a fella called Haruki Suzaki, directed both Pokemon Snap games. And he has something interesting to say because he comes from having developed that first game, Coming in to direct this one, he also talks about how um, how we interact with photos differently now. It's not just oh, let's go up into the loft and bring down the uh, bring down the box of literal photographs. Like we're putting them on social media, we're showing them to everybody who's going to look. We're taking four hundred of like fucking meals or an interesting piece of foliage that we see on a walk, all this sort of thing. So adding that social aspect, the, the little um, social media um, aspect. To the game is also a really great addition. I haven't picked it up in a while, but I assume the top photo that somebody shared is still that photo of the Bidoof oh, yeah. with the pair of sunglasses on. <laughs> well, I mean, never. about three hours after that game came out, that photo was on there and it had millions and millions of thumbs up. It was perfect in its simplicity and its humour. It's it, it really encapsulates just what that aspect of the game is. It's just, it really, really is wonderful. And lastly... Loads and loads and loads of my favourite Pokemon are in it. Right, we're up to, I think we're up to over 900 now, with the new ones from Pokemon Legends Arceus, taking us up to 905, I believe. And I think back to the, what, 
63 Pokemon that were in the original yeah. game. Hardly any of my favourites from Gen 1 were present. There was no Blastoise, there was no Nidoking, no Poliwhirl, and Mewtwo only showed up as a weird sort of camera glitch when you photograph a gemstone. <laughs> it was very much a, this game walked so this game could run type deal, and Boy, they've delivered. They really have. Now I can load up the game and in one sitting I can take a photo of most of my favourites. In no particular order, I could take photos of Cradley, Flygon, Lugia, Finneon, Toucanon, Hydreigon, Umbreon, Houndoom, Typhlosion, Archaeops, Scrappy, Superior, Stunfisk and Pseudowoodo, who's just wandering around the Pseudo. lab in a lovely little cameo. <laughs> we love him. We love him. I know that one. <laughs> yeah, the fake tree. Every stage of the map is not a treat to play because hey, even though the biomes do give pretty massive hints as to what Pokemon you're going to be able to find there, there are always some surprises thrown in. Like, whenever I play, I'd lean over to Mrs. Minty and I'd say, would you like to join me on an ecological trip of mystery and danger? <laughs> I'd have her pick which stage to visit and then make sure that she didn't make any progress in her book by loudly narrating the entire expedition <laughs> and throwing in fun facts about all the Pokemon I'd see. I do give as good as I get there, though, because I'm only talking about Pokemon, where she would talk about coloured pencils most oh. nights. Um, <laughs> like I said, it is replacing the N64 Pokemon Snap, but as a vastly superior game, it's only fitting to poke it in a little bit higher. So I'm going to put it in at number... Uh, I think it's going to go in at number 68. Ooh. Good stuff. Tasty, tasty, tasty. It is such a wonderful game. You've really, really, uh, you've really done it justice there. I think the 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 level of it just feels so organic. Like mm. you say, it just feels so alive. It's exactly what we wanted, and yeah, 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 it's absolutely wonderful. It gives you such a wonderful Pokemon experience that you know it's something you just don't get in in the games. It's something you almost get in some of the the films and the TV shows of just sort of watching Pokemon live and be. It's just the sheer level of fun and creativity that that is there in their design and their behavior and all the incredible minds that went into just conjuring these beings into existence and uh it's going in my list as well i had an inkling this this was going to appear on your list and i thought i'm going to piggyback on that number one it's not number (laughs) one but i think yeah around about number 70 i'd say uh, Mm. is where that's going and that means i need to get rid of one doesn't it that's the rules um i'm going to get rid of a game that tried to give you the Pokemon Snap experience by crowbarring it into a mainline Pokemon game, but not really delivering. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm going to get rid of Pokemon Ultra Sun. Bosh. I love Pokemon Ultra Sun. I think uh, I think it's it's it, the way it shook the gameplay formula up was great. I think the uh, the design of the, of the world was great. I loved the uh, the Ultra Beasts. There's so much about the game that I think is brilliant. <laughs> it's not as good as Pokemon Gold. So <laughs> get rid of all of See them. See ya. All in the bin, apart from gold. I'm pretty sure that is. Oh no, I've still got red and blue. Uh, well, blue and yellow, as I as I as I had. I've still got those Pokemon games, but every other Pokemon game. Bin. I'm still keeping the original Pokemon in there because it, it's got a very different yeah. meaning to me. Yeah. So there we go. That was uh, Minty's addendum, and, and also uh, mine. And it was. It was new, new Pokemon, Pokemon Snap. Snap. That, that didn't work. It will do in the edit. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do share our podcast on your social media platforms. 
guide some other people our way share our articles if you want to be in with a chance of winning a copy of Back for Blood and joining us for an online streaming co-op session check out our Patreon page patreon.com slash O3C games we really really appreciate your support it's uh, I know, we, we need it we need it and it's not just we appreciate it we, we need it to keep going or just go to O3C.game slash support and chuck us a few quid on uh, via PayPal we'd, we'd very much appreciate that as well you can chat to us on social media at O3C Games on everything. Tell us what you're playing. Ask us questions you might like us to answer in a future episode. Why not? Give us a discussion point. Tell us what you want to hear from us and tell us what you think of these games. If you want to reach out to us individually, you can do that as well. I am on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. I live at Chaz underscore Hodges. And I am Clement underscore Boo. Ooh. Please do join us next week where Chris will be amending his list even further. I will. Number one. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. Do you love Japan and video games? Well, so do we. We're Kinsey and Mark from Kyoto Indie Devs Chuhai Labs. Join us twice monthly for games, silly Japan news, and all-around nonsense. We stink at making commercials. <laughs> we f***ing got this one, bro. Be sure to stop by the Chu High Labs Discord to chat about our games or ask us questions. Chu High Labs and the Nasty Labs Podcast. We're legally the best. Take a time machine back to before the world went to hell around the year 2000. The 80s and 90s were so rad. The movies, the music, the TV, the games? That's what I want to talk about. If you're cool enough, join us and listen to Less Than 2000. Because that's all we talk about. Adam and Chad live Less Than 2000. Now part of the HyperX Podcast Network. Do you play games on the PC? Then make room for huge plays with the HyperX Alloy Origin 65 Mechanical Gaming Keyboard and the Pulsefire Haste Wireless Mouse. The Alloy Origin 65 has a functionally compact form factor, keeping the arrow keys without the numpad and function keys. The Pulse Fire Haste is the lightest wireless mouse from HyperX, featuring a robust connection, up to 100 hours of battery life, and is even water resistant. The Alloy Origin 65 and Pulse Fire Haste Wireless. Keep your setup clean and clutter free with the Alloy Origin 65 mechanical keyboard and the Pulse Fire Haste Wireless Mouse.